mean, you've been putting in work for so long. What's going on, guys? Thanks for tuning in. This is Putting in Work. I'm John O'Peck, and this is episode nine of the podcast. This week, we have a great friend, Emma Kelson, joining us. Emma is one of the most creative people that I've uh, been able to call a friend, and that comes out of her in the form of uh, a lot of design work she's done, a lot of music that she's been part of. Her current job title is actually Senior Learning Facilitator at Billy Blue College of Design in Melbourne and the CAT Design School. So Emma's a creative educator and she has some really interesting insight on what it's like to be in these kind of different spheres of creativity as a woman, which is something that I find really interesting, kind of lacking from the podcast so far. With most of my friends being fellas, it's really good to get an insight from someone like Emma. So keep listening for more of that. And as always, enjoy the show. Thank you for joining me, Emma. Thanks so much for having me, Jono. It's all right. It's uh, always good to have a woman in here. You're my first, so you should feel pretty special about that, hopefully. Thank you. I do. I have noticed that I am the first lady yeah. on uh, putting in work, so I'm very honored. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I hope it's not too obvious that all my friends are dudes, but we've been friends for like 10 years now, so yeah, it's that, been that a counts while. for a lot. Yeah. It does. So even back then when I first met you, you were already into all this design stuff, designing t-shirts, screen printing, and you probably, I can't remember if you had tats back then, but tell me about your kind of trajectory as an artist and a designer and how it got you to where you are now, which we'll get into. You know, I've always been a creative person, uh, even from when I was a really little kid. Um, I was always drawing, I was always making stuff, I was always really crafty. And a really big art nerd right through school, right through primary school and high school. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the art room at lunchtimes and hanging out in the art section in the library. And then, you know, I kind of got to the end of school and starting to think about what I wanted to do with my life. And I realized that no one was going to pay me to be an artist. So design seemed like the next best thing. Uh, so I went to uni. I did a, a Bachelor of Design at Swinburne. I really struggled through that. I found it not only really difficult moving from small country town to the city, but uh, I think just reframing my mindset to a design uh, thinking process rather than just creating stuff for the sake of creating it was also pretty challenging. Um, But, you know, I got through and um, found a love for design. It was just this beautiful meeting point between being artistic, being creative, uh, and business. Um, and I was always really entrepreneurial, I suppose, as well. Um, I, I started my first little business when I was maybe 15. Just yeah. like, yeah, printing printing T-shirts and, and hand-painting T-shirts, which I sold online in a couple of little stores in Melbourne, which was pretty cool to do. That is cool. What, yeah. what, what were you designing on those t-shirts? Just like, they were really like art pieces. So I would hand dye uh, singlets and then I would screen print them, uh, not even using like proper screen printing techniques, but literally cutting out paper stencils because uh, that's all I had access to at the time. <laughs> and... Yeah, like combination of that and hand painting. I was really influenced by pop art at the time. Um, yeah, so right. a lot of really bold colors and, you know, some kind of like 
grungy kind of imagery. Sure. And yeah, once I finished uni, started working in design in varying capacities. My first job was in fashion, uh, although it was design related and had a few studio jobs after that. And last year started my teaching career as a design lecturer, which is basically what I've kind of progressed from now, which is really cool. I'm really stoked to be in a really great creative and fulfilling space in my career at the moment. That's cool. That's really good. And I guess uh, a lot of people look at design as a creative process and, you know, trying to do different things that stand out. But a lot of it, I'm guessing, is about trying to do what the client wants within the parameters of what the content demands and then doing it in a way that still manages to stand out. So what's that kind of push and pull like? It's definitely a challenging thing. And I think something that a lot of young designers have misconceptions about and really fall uh, into a trap with. I think it's easy to think that, you know, you'll just get to hang out and drink coffee and design cool stuff all day. But realistically, the client is the one that pays your wage and that's who you need to satisfy at the end of the day. It's quite a difficult lesson to learn. And I think once you learn it and you come to terms with that, life is so much easier Having said that, though, a tight brief is often much easier to work with than a really loose brief. When you've got parameters, um, you've, you know, you've got boundaries, you've got a space to work within, and it just presses you to try and be creative within those boundaries and and push those boundaries to do something cool and a little bit different. Mm. But I mean, yeah, you've still got a deadline. You've you've got a certain period of time um, that you're allowed to spend on a project. You've got a brand that you need to work with, a particular tone of voice you need to communicate, um, particular assets that you need to work with. So there's often not as much creativity as one might think that there is in design. But that's definitely the challenge. Hmm. And I guess to to be versatile, you have to be able to dip into these different areas of design to make what that particular client wants. So you need to be creative in a diverse amount of styles and that kind of thing. Absolutely. And again, I think a lot of people think, oh, you know, I've got this one particular style and I want to be really well known for that. And that's what I want to do. And I don't want to have to do other styles of work that I don't particularly like. But you know, that kind of niche market is incredibly small. Mm. Um, And I think one of the reasons that I've, I suppose you could say succeeded as a designer is I've never felt like I had a particular style. Other people looking at my work overwhelmingly say that I, that I do and that, that emerges, but I've never sort of felt like I wanted to force my aesthetic on any particular client or particular brief. And I've always been pretty open about, being adaptable and working to whatever is required to get the job done and for the most successful outcome. I think there's real merit in that, in being adaptable and flexible. I think it's a really important trait to have for Mm. anybody, but especially for a designer. Absolutely. A few weeks ago, I noticed something you put on Facebook that actually prompted me to to get you on here as a guest. And it was a, a Facebook post about the amount of of women that study design being higher than men, but the amount of highly recognized and award-winning artists tend to be mostly men instead of the other way around. So can you explain a little bit about that imbalance and perhaps some of the barriers that are in place for women? 
Yeah, I think this is a, an interesting conversation and one that applies to all industries, not just design. There are more female design graduates than men, but in any award ceremony, in any awards annual, there's um, many, many more men listed than women in most in most niche, niche areas in design. I mean, I, I guess there's, you know, this is for a lot of different reasons and we could spend, you know, an entire day mm. talking about this, but I think the, the key ones that I can identify in my own life, in the women that I've met, um, and even in my students is that being super stereotypical and generalizing, but women often feel like they need permission or validation from somebody else. We generally don't put our hand up and put ourselves forward a lot of the time. Um, so whether that means that, you know, may, maybe women aren't kind of having the confidence to be nominated for awards, or maybe they're just not kind of taking all of the credit where it's due or putting their hands up for those higher level positions um, where they absolutely could succeed, but they don't necessarily think that they meet all of the criteria to be in that role, which is a massive shame. And I think it happens more often than not. Yeah. You know, a colleague of mine, Jane Connery, is currently doing her PhD called Invisible, and she's exploring the visibility of women who've made a significant contribution to the history of graphic design in Australia. Right. And part of her research is about measuring the amount of women who feature in design awards in Australia in comparison to men. Yeah. I think the other big factor, of course, is just the, the lifestyle kind of issues that women face that men don't. And I guess that really just boils down to you know, procreating essentially. Um, unfortunately, we have to yeah. be the the gender that has to be responsible for making sure that our race continues and that undeniably has a huge impact on a woman's career. I mean, I don't know how we solve that problem. I don't know if it really can effectively be solved. Um, but I think it's a discussion that is happening more openly, which is incredibly healthy. Um, you know, I, it's something that is so prevalent in our society and that we really need to sort out because we're not doing a very good job of working on it at the moment. Sure. So as someone that's lecturing, you know, the next generation of artists and designers, like you're, I mean, you're not that old yourself, but you've got experience to impart. What can you tell them that might go some way to addressing that issue? I think the biggest area that I see that makes me really sad is um, a lot of my female students doubt themselves a lot. They put in an immense amount of work, but they don't see that it's ever enough. I think it really comes down to self-worth and self-value and recognizing mm. your own strengths, recognizing that you have really great skills and that you have value. It's taken me a really long time to recognize those traits in myself um, so my biggest piece of advice would be to kind of get over that whole meekness and really embrace the fact that you are a strong, powerful, valued person. And the sooner that you recognize that in yourself, the sooner everybody else will recognize that in you. And the sooner that you'll recognize that you're worthy of all of the same opportunities as everybody else. I think that's really good advice. And 
one of the things that we kind of bonded over was our mutual love for for music and you've been in bands in the past and as the as the singer of the band that's i guess it's you and a bunch of guys behind you like what are the similarities in the music industry that you see because i know that that's probably been something that that you've thought about a lot yeah absolutely um i totally get singled out uh for being the girl in the band i've gotten you know guys coming up to me at the end of a show and kind of telling me that they thought i was great but that you know my vocals weren't loud enough or you know trying to kind of mansplain it (laughs) to me yeah totally and uh, like that always i thought was sweet but completely unnecessary because you know I'm, i'm quite capable of looking after myself and just because i'm a female doesn't mean that i know nothing about anything it's a real shame that not there's not more women in music and it sucks that I feel like I was some kind of strange small role model. Mm. It really shouldn't be like that. I have had so many discussions with women who say things like, oh, I wish I could do what you do. Uh, you know, you're so amazing up there and I've always wanted to be in a band or I've always wanted to sing or I've always wanted to take singing lessons, you know, even something so small like that. Um, but they just don't give themselves permission to do that. It makes me really sad. Mm. But almost sadder than that is the fact that the only reason I was in that band is because my now husband was the one that suggested <laughs> me um, for, you know, to sort of audition for lack of a, a better word, because it was certainly more informal than that. But, you know, I was too shy to put myself forward. And I think that just reiterates what I was talking about mm. before. Is it because you assume that they have this vision of what their band is going to be and it's the the typical guy lead, leading the band and not a woman? Because kind of when when you have a woman as the, you know, front man, in quotes, it almost shapes the entire sound of a group, some people might think. Yeah, absolutely. I think I never thought not to put myself forward because they're probably looking for a dude. Um, I guess it's just, but I suppose it is sort of the status quo. And um, part of me probably subconsciously did assume that, you know, the rest of the guys were dudes. So, you know, it's kind of, while they'd probably have a male frontman as well. Undeniably, having a female voice does put a particular tone um, against the music. You know, for better or worse, it certainly is distinct. I think that garnered a bit of Mm. attention because it was different. And I suppose it's, you know, it's a talking point. People love to kind of point out something that's unique. Uh, So I suppose that was a good thing for the band. But yeah, it was certainly a challenge and I really, I think, put a lot of expectations on myself around wanting to have the same power and aggression and strength Mm. that a male voice would have in a punk rock band. Being a female, that can be challenging. Yeah. It was certainly challenging for me. And I often felt like I kind of wasn't meeting the brief. I wasn't really meeting the standard because I didn't have those same qualities to my voice. But, you know, you can't compare those two things. They are completely unique in their own ways. And, you know, it was what it was. And, yeah, I'm a girl and I have a female voice and that's just what it's going to be. So if you want me to be in your band, then, you know, 
Yeah. You're gonna, it's going to be That's it's right. going to be a female voice over the and top. And yeah, I, I mean, it's so awesome when it works. That's the thing with a female in a punk rock band. Like, it, it's it's it is like typically a, a ma- yeah. I guess it's a masculine kind of sound, like an edgy kind of gritty kind of sound. A lot of bands are going for, but when the the right woman comes in, it's just like it just it does make it different. And being different is good in music. Absolutely. Um, I think that contrast is really nice. Punk is fast and furious and loud and can be pretty aggressive. And I think having a female voice over that is a really interesting dynamic. And I certainly feel that I brought that um, and I feel really lucky to have had the opportunity to be a part of something like that and make something that is quite unique from a musical perspective. Yeah, definitely. I want to know, Emma, what has been the hardest thing about succeeding as a designer and, you know, succeeding as a band that gets gigs and is well-liked by people that's not booed off the stage, you know? Like, you're, you're a woman that's done these two things. I guess you've identified that there's challenges in that. So, what's been the hardest part to actually convince yourself that you are more than capable and you deserve to do these things that you love to do? I think learning that I was capable like letting myself appreciate that I was capable and almost giving myself that permission, I think was that mm. has been the hardest part of getting to where I am now. It really hasn't been about developing particular skills. Um, that's been relatively easy. It hasn't necessarily been about having to learn how to work hard because that's always come naturally. A lot of it really has come down to acknowledging that I do deserve awesome experiences and I do deserve to have great opportunities and that I should make the most of those because nobody's going to do it for me. Mm. It's, it's up to me. And if I don't capitalize on that, then I miss out and that's my own fault. Um, so just stepping up to the plate and just pushing myself to do that, I think has been the hardest part. Sure. And are you at a point now where you can look back and, and feel like it's, it's so rewarding to have reached the point that you're at in those two different things? Yeah, it's weird. Like, I mean, I'm only 28 and I've really only, you know, been in industry for less than 10 years now. You know, it's not like I'm some seasoned (laughs) professional, but I feel like I've finally gotten to this point in my career where I can feel pretty satisfied with the amount of hard work that I've put in and recognize that that's actually gotten me to somewhere that Mm. I want to be. Likewise with my music, you know, I have put in a pretty decent amount of hard work and it felt good to get to a point where, you know, we put out a second record, we were touring, you know, we were getting pretty good gigs, um, we were pretty decently established as a band. I mean, that certainly didn't come easily. I, I definitely, you know, I was at practice every single week. I was writing um, as much as I could, you know, recording is really draining, all that kind of stuff. You're trying to fit that, all of that kind of commitment around work and life and everything else. It's certainly no small feat. So, yeah, I I do for the first time feel like I've finally gotten to this point of feeling kind of good about where I've gotten myself Mm. to. I mean, it certainly only goes up from here. 
Um, but it's nice to have that little breath of relief yeah. for the first time. I mean, the struggles that you've talked about, I don't think that they're unique to women, but there's certainly an extra layer of, of those um, challenges that you have to overcome based on what is generally the way that our society kind of expects people to be maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't generalize. I know that that's not a healthy thing to do. Unfortunately, when it comes to this kind of stuff, it's sort of the easiest way to compartmentalize these kinds of issues. But yeah, I mean, I think in Australia, even that we are conditioned to be quite modest about our strengths. Um, That's something that I've kind of picked up from my teaching, you know, we don't like to put our hands up and say, yeah, like I'm actually really good at that. Or, um, you know, yeah, I really want to be considered for this awesome position. We sort of wait until somebody else says, Hey, you know what? You'd be really good at that. So yeah, you're right. It's absolutely not unique to women. Um, it is a lot of these issues Mm. are, are things that men face as well. But I agree. I think it's, there's this extra layer, you know, just with the female psyche and the way that society is structured, that makes it maybe more difficult or more prevalent. And it's almost like you get to a point where you unlock what's holding you back. And from there, it's just the only limit is whatever you put on yourself. So I think it's really cool that you've reached that point or maybe you reached it a few years ago. I don't know. I think it's, I feel like it's been really recent. Yeah. Like literally only in the past, maybe six months or so. But yeah, absolutely. It is. It's like this awakening. Um, I know it sounds kind of new age, but um, it, it is. It's like, ah, oh, cool. Like I get it now. I, I, I've I kind of figured myself out to the point where I don't feel like I'm my own worst enemy anymore. And now I can just get on with deciding what I want and just put in the hard work to get there rather than wrestling sure. with myself. There's a question that I always finish with, but before we get to that, there's something you kind of mentioned before we were talking and I wanted to see, maybe it ties into what we've been talking about, maybe it doesn't, but you've been working on a program with women in prison in, in relation to design. So can you tell me what that is? Because it just sounds cool. I don't know what it is, but tell me about it. <laughs> So basically I'm applying to do my master's by research this year. Um, And as part of my proposal uh, for my research, um, I am aiming to develop a program for women in uh, a minimum security prison in Victoria to um, basically use the design process as a framework to kind of like dissect themselves in terms of their personality and their objectives like we would uh, in the brand identity design Mm. process. Um, So the same process I would go through designing a brand for a business, basically applying that process to a female inmate and using that as a tool for her to basically design her future, design her situation um, so that she can achieve her objectives. And of course, the side effects of that is healing and rehabilitation because it's such a constructive and creative mm. process to go through. So yeah, it's it's really cool. It's a really cool project. I'm super, super, super excited about it. I pretty much like <laughs> never want to go to work because I just want to stay home and work on my research. And I don't want to see my friends and like I don't want to go out and do social things because I just want to stay at home and read and uh, write stuff um, like a total nerd but yeah it's it's really cool I think 
obviously inmates are really high um, needs group, but female inmates, I think, again, is that extra level on top of that. You know, they're generally incarcerated because mm. of really specific crimes. Uh, I think I read the other day that, you know, over 80% of female prisoners have been victims of sexual physical or emotional abuse and most of the right. time victims of more than one type of abuse so i mean that really just goes to show how much in need of healing and real rehabilitation these kinds of people are um so it just feels really cool to utilize my knowledge my background and my training yeah. in an environment where it's cool. really needed and yeah, I'm, I'm super, I'm just like a super big nerd in terms of like crime and prison. And like, <laughs> if you looked at my Netflix list, it's just like full of like all of these horrible crime documentaries. Cause that's basically all I ever watch. So it's just a really cool meeting point between, you know, two of my loves. So getting to mix them both into the same project is sure. super exciting. I was going to ask how the idea came about, but I think you just kind of explained that. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty kind of left of center area to work in. And I, I can't, I can't explain. Some people have asked me like, oh, okay, well, why, like what prompted you to want to do this? Or like, where mm. did this come from? Like, I've never been in prison um, I spent a night in jail once, but that's like the closest that I've come. Um, I don't know anyone who's in prison. I don't know anyone who's been in prison. You know, I actually don't really know where this bizarre fascination comes from, but you know, it's yeah. there. And um, I think, I think what it comes down to for me is that I really see beauty and darkness. Um, and I see so much potential in these people that are in this really dark place in their lives hmm. And I think, you know, it just takes a little window for that to turn into something awesome. Mm. So I guess that's essentially yeah. what I'm and trying to do. And it's never too late for people like that, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So the last question that I ask everyone is, if you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? And maybe you've already just answered that. I don't know. I've, in preparation <laughs> for this recording, I've actually thought about this You're Probably the first person... The, the first guest I've had that's actually listened to the podcast, but preceding them. So <laughs> that's cool. Well, that's good. Um, I mean, they're, they're all great, by the way. Well, thank you. Um, so many interesting people. And it's really cool, you know, just in sort of your, I, I suppose, relatively small network. I know, know that's the thing. Of the people that you know, <laughs> there's so many yeah. awesome people doing amazing things. I know, and I'll, I'll run out of people eventually, but maybe I just have to widen the sphere. But when I started it, it was just thinking there's so many people I know who do amazing stuff. So let's kind of explore that. Do you know what? I've already thought of so many people I can refer you to that you need to talk to that are just doing amazing things. That's awesome. Things. We'll, we'll so talk I, after I this too then. Totally. I have no doubt that you, your, you know, your list of potential guests will grow exponentially. That's cool. Anyway, um, if you could do anything and know you wouldn't fail. So basically my answer to this question would be sort of linking back to some of the stuff that we talked about earlier um, is I would do everything that I am currently doing and that I plan to do 
but I would have kids as well. Okay. And I think this is like the ultimate challenge. I, I feel like a lot of pressure about this particular topic. Um, I'm really career driven person and I have no, and no idea about how I'm supposed to somehow at some point in my life be a parent and, and also, also have an amazing career. Mm. Um, so if I knew I wouldn't fail, I knew I couldn't fail, then I would just magically be able to do both of those <laughs> things awesomely. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, people do it somehow. So just find those people, people and it. talk to them. <laughs> yeah, I, I've tried. I'm, I'm, yeah, it's a bit of a mission. I'm, um, you know, I'm pretty lucky to have a, a really amazing uh, network of creative people. And some of those people are women and some of those people are also mothers. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'm totally, you know, not planning to, to be a parent anytime soon, but I'm totally got my ear out, came to, here are any tips that they have. Apparently getting yeah. a cleaner <laughs> is our key to yeah, retaining can... your sanity. I'm a complete, I can see complete that, neat yeah. freak, so I'm really worried about, yeah, mm. it makes sense, I mean, right? I think it's just com a lot of little tiny compromises in different areas. Like maybe you let the house get a little bit messier than you used to. Maybe you get an hour less sleep than you want every second night or, yeah, just got to make it work, don't you? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's it. That's that's the philosophy that you have to adopt to anything yeah. if you're going to get anywhere. Like you just have to make it work. Like you just, if you want it to work, you just got to figure it that's out. It. You got to put in the work. Got to put that's in the it. work. Cool. Well, that's probably a good good spot to end on. So thanks for the chat, Emma. It's been really good. And I've actually learned a lot. So thanks very much. Oh, thanks, Jono. It's been a blast. You can catch up with Emma on Instagram at emma.kelson. And her website is also emmakelson.com. Please remember to leave a five-star rating in iTunes. You can help out just by telling a friend. Uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Jono himself. And until next week, keep putting in work.